Let's listen to a little more here. Mark Shapiro, February 14, 2022, lecture, The Rise of Reform, The Rabbinic Response, lecture number three. Hold on, 100% Jufo, or do he have an actual manuscript? Did he just put in his fake Jufo? And I think uh, the former is the case. Uh, the stipe work. In other words, I think that all the Jufo, most of them are just run-of-the-mill, not problematic, are done to provide cover. Now, the stipe work, very important figure, the stipe work of Yaron Vyshaw-Kanevsky, the father of... Uh, Chaim Kanievsky, he was approached by someone who wanted to write a history, and I mentioned this in Changing the Immutable, he was approached by someone who wanted to write a history of Haskalah. Write a history for the Haredi about how bad Haskalah was and all the terrible things they did. So Haskalah was the Jewish Enlightenment that really got launched in the 19th century as Jews started embracing secular learning. And of course, if you didn't do that, you have to write about Shal Berlin. What could be worse than a Moscow rabbi who's writing so Shaul Berlin was an orthodox rabbi and someone with secular learning and also a massive forger really a masculine uh, publishing a book with all sorts of phony heterim and chuvo to try to undermine tradition so a heter and heterim refers to permissions so a rabbi gives you permission say to listen to music during the period of the Jewish calendar where normally listening to music is prohibited but in your case it's permitted because you're struggling with depression. And a true vote is a rabbinic response to a question. It be a question about Jewish law, Jewish theology, Jewish philosophy, about life, politics. from the inside by attributing to the great figures like the Rush, halachic decisions. And people start relying on these halachic decisions. So, so that's pretty bad. Uh, but he didn't know how to deal with Shalom Berlin uh, because he didn't deal with someone who was uh, one of the big rabbinic it's not, it's not your normal thing to have a great rabbi who then goes to the dark side if you want to use uh, the Star Wars terminology. Well, it's as normal as well, any other profession. I told him as follows. I, I think it's fascinating. He says, do not write anything. He says, write all of that how bad the Haskalah was. Yes. But don't write anything about Rochelle Berlin. Now, why not write about Rochelle Berlin? He's a, I mean, he, he's a classic example, uh, you could say, of an Apicorus. Heretic. He's, he's the one who knows the truth and then just goes off and rejects it all. Uh, listen to what the sniper says. He says, first, because of the honor due his forefathers, his father, his, his uncles, going back uh, generations, his, his, his great-grandparents, these are all Godolians, they all. Great rabbis. And it's a busha, it's an embarrassment to the family to know that such a person came out of them. So that's the first reason he says not to write about it. The second uh, reason is, uh, I mean, this is on the, this, this sort of assumes uh, that uh, um, if you if you deal with someone like Charles Berlin, that somehow the honor of his forefathers is reduced. I, I don't see it that way. Uh, I think we should be sophisticated enough to know that, uh, uh, look at it, look, Aaron, the great Aaron. <laughs> Some of his children didn't turn out so well, and uh, we can give other examples uh, also. Uh, I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't succeeded by his children. I mean, we have uh, we all heard about Esau, we heard about Yishmael. Well, maybe we should take Yishmael back, because Yishmael, uh, traditionally, he's thought to be also a Baal Shufa. And that's why you have an admission Yishmael. You even have uh, one of the great, the last great important halachic sage in Italy, and the guys in the first part of the ninth century, Rabbi Shmuel HaKohen of Lodino. Today you can never name a Kiddy Shmuel because the Arab is really dispute. No one's going to name a Kiddy Shmuel. But Yishmael is a kosher name. I'm a Rabbi Yishmael. You got it right there. You can't argue with explicit, you know, Talmudic statements. Uh, 
I'm really smart when we say it all the time. The second reason the Sycamore says not to write about him is that perhaps Saul Berlin has already received his bonus in heaven. He's already received his punishment and he's now cleansed. So therefore, you're going to bring it up. That causes more problems. So unless you've experienced Orthodox Judaism or unless you've experienced incredibly intense in-group identity, you don't know how great the pressure is to conform. So intense in-group identity is wonderful as a source of strength and power. It's an effective tool at navigating life. It tends to make people happier, more effective, but it comes with tremendous disciplines and prices such as restriction of personal freedom. You can't just do what you think is right. This I don't understand at all. Because you can say that then about any sinner. That you can't speak. We're not going to be able to speak about Geiger or Jacobson or any other people we're going to speak about. So Abraham Geiger and Jacobson were talking about the early reform rabbis in Germany in the 19th century. I would say to me that there's a difference. Those people were heretics from day one, so they're just bad. But here you have someone who was a Talmud Chacham, and presumably it's Saudi, he becomes a heretic, so we assume that he went back to his years of the office, went back to his roots. But I have to say, I've never heard of such a thing like that, that we all know about people who became heretics, and I've never heard that you're not supposed to talk about them on the country. If you look at the Rambam and elsewhere, on the country, you're supposed to speak about them because they're heretics, you're supposed to expose them. But that's what I think support for that is in the Talmudic tractate of Yonah 59b. Although he doesn't say this, I think the subtext of the site words, everything he's saying, is that the Talmudic Chachamim know all about this. And they know who Shalberman was, so they don't need to work. So, Orthodox life is segregated, right? There are those in the know, and there are the leading intellectuals, leading thinkers, right? And then there's the the common people who just uh, you know, fully occupied with earning a living and being with their friends and family. So not everyone is a is a scholar in Orthodox Jewish life. About, we don't need to worry about them using the Sami Roche. The issue here is only for the masses. Do we need to let the masses? I mean, Joe Shmo and B'nai Brock, does he really need to know about this? That, that's the issue. And again, I would take issue with the sniper because I don't think all the Posky know about this. There's plenty of Posky who don't know this story, and it could illuminate it for them. Now, the last two reasons the sniper gives, I think, are the most interesting and the most important uh, as well. He writes that discussing you're going to write a book on Hasmala discussing the episode of Shaul Berlin will be humiliating for those sages who were taken in by the forger. And uh, there have been sages who were taken in. I think the sniper assumes that in the early, there's actually more today who were taken in. In, the, in Shaul Berlin's day, other than his father, I don't really know if anyone was taken in. But as you get to more modern times, you have plenty who were taken in. So maybe that's what he was referring to. And he says, if you do this, it'll be embarrassing to those sages who uh, were taken in by the forgery. It will reflect um, poorly on them. Again, I have to say, I, that, that means that we can't discuss the, um, the Yerushalmi Kutshin. 
In a couple of weeks, we're going to speak to Rabar Hoberlander from Budapest. He's the world's expert on the Yerushalmi Kutchin. You know how many Gedolias Yisrael were taken in by the Yerushalmi Kutchin? Many more than were taken in by Shal Berlin. Yerushalmi Kutchin, in the early times, it's published. I can show you, I have a copy of it. it was so there was a Jew, I think, in the 18th century, Sheptai V, at the height of his fame, fame, about a third of the Jews in the world believed that he was the Messiah, including many leading rabbis. And then Shabtai V ends up converting to Islam. <laughs> Pushed by the Hagos of the Marsham, the great Marsham, the Jose Dachron, they called him, uh, and uh, also uh, Rishon Buber, the great academic scholar, and many good. The Chafetz Chaim was taken in. The Chafetz Chaim starts wearing film or being done because of uh, the Yerushalmi country. But then he gives, and the final reason the slaver gives is that, and this I find fascinating, the faith of the simple people, certain people, we should be simple people, will be weakened if they see that a great Torah star could become a heretic. Um, and he concludes by saying that an article... So the chief rabbi of Rome, I think, after World War II, ended up converting to Christianity. Uh, not many great rabbis have converted to Christianity. Write all about the terrible results of the Snoa, but don't mention anything about Shaw Berlin and Torah scholars who were led astray. But I think the last reason is, is interesting because, uh, look, for the simple people, not the people on Torah Motion, the simple people who uh, are listening to other talks, uh, they just assume that the more Torah you learn, the greater Tzadik you become, the greater Tamachacham, and that's uh, everything's great. And that's not true. Uh, just because you learn more Torah doesn't mean you're going to be a better person, a better husband, a better friend, better member of the community. doesn't mean you're going to be more honest. doesn't mean you're going to be less addicted to pornography or to alcohol or to drugs. Right? You learn more Torah or you learn more mathematics or you learn more physics just means that you're more learned in those particular areas. There's no inherent necessary accompaniment to this learning and just learning about the Holocaust it doesn't doesn't make you a better person doesn't make you kinder doesn't make you braver doesn't make you more clear if you actually expose them to someone who grew up in a rabbinic family who was uh, a post-seg and a rav and uh, a future decides and all law. Holds, he goes off to the dark side that they won't be able to handle it. Now, anyone who's sophisticated has heard of Acher, you, you know, Alicia ben Abuya. You've heard of other people in those circumstances. So Alicia ben Abuya was a heretic in the Talmud, right? He, he was friends with Rabbi Meir in, in the Talmud, and he may have known uh, Rabbi Akiva as well. But uh, he lost his faith due to Jewish suffering at the hands of the Romans, the Bar Kokhba revolt. So Louis Ginsburg, a great Torah scholar, but a leader in conservative Judaism, right? He he broke away from Orthodox Judaism. In his community, this is something that uh, we don't want them to be exposed to this uh, this information. Incidentally, I almost said Rothsadir, Clive Trigger, it's a few we spoke of a number of times. But one of the things I discovered on my trip to Israel a few weeks ago 
I discovered lots of this stuff, including color pictures of Yitzhak and Weinberg. No one's ever seen it. They've never been out there. I'm going to put them on the blog post, not the next one, the one after. Then you'll see these will then become the famous pictures. No one's going to remember that I discovered it. I might put them on there, but that's okay. The reason I'm not showing you them now is because I learned my lesson. Someone's going to pull it off the video and do what they did with Heschel, remember, and read the talus in different colors and put it out there. So everyone, and they took the Lieberman pictures I showed you, and they were going all over the Internet. And so someone sent them to me and said, have you seen these pictures? I said, have I seen these pictures? I'm the one who put the pictures out there, thanks to one of our listeners. And then I told the whole story on a blog post. But I discovered the ethical will. Yeah, people want the covered. People want the glory. People want the attribution. Even if you're a great scholar, you still want the glory. That's just part of human nature. Of Chaim Chernovitz, believe it or not, Rav Zahir, when he was still in Berlin, but even then he had left Odessa, and everyone assumed already he was no longer among the pious ones. And it's such a religious document to his family. He's going in for an operation, and he says to them, I might not come out of this operation, so I want you to remember always to be proud of your Judaism and be aware that the most important thing is not material pursuits, but spiritual pursuits, and keep Eretz Yisrael close to you. He's a big Zioni. So what an ethical will. There's a whole genre of ethical wills. I'm not going to reveal where I discovered this, because I don't want to get all these people who are going to go and take it out from under me. But it's a great, great document. People are going to love this document when I publish this, because it shows you the piety of Rav Zahir. Now, some cynic is going to say, well, what do you expect? He's going under the knife. He's having an operation, so now he's focused on these things. Okay, he could be. But, you know, Shlomo Pinnis, in Zev Harvey's memoir of Shlomo's eulogy article on Shlomo Pinnis, the translator of Moray Nebuchim, and he was a complete atheist, but a great scholar. So the Moray Nebuchim is Maimonides' work on Jewish philosophy. Tells how even in the hospital, at these last days, when the nurse was there in the Jerusalem hospital, and Pinnis made some comment, I guess, and she said, even now, like even when you're on death's door, you know, this is your attitude. So the nurses apparently were very impressed by my father's behavior and his attitude in his final days. My father went into hospice with about two or three weeks left to live. Obviously, he was very weak. My father and I, we made our peace, you know, exchanging emails. And he was about, oh, he was about to turn 90. So he did turn 90 before he died. But according to the stories I heard, you know, his pure, spiritual, holy self shone through all the pain and the suffering. And it was very easy to deal with. He had a positive mental attitude. He knew that he was dying. Moshe Kapo and another person, they do, they put these books on the computer 
and they do all these tests and they can show uh, one author, multi-authors, when it was written. They haven't yet done Basam in Rosh, but when they do Basam in Rosh, they will find uh, all sorts of problems. In my article on suicide in the world to come, I point out that uh, this concept that if you commit suicide, you have no share in the world to come is not found in any of the Rishonim. It's a much later idea. Well, not found in any of the Holocaust of Rishonim. It's uh, an Islamic idea, so you have a guy from the philosophical text that has it. But the Islamic approach knows this. So I see that as a proof, an internal proof also. So you can see these breaks in the rocks here. Now this is all going to fall away one day. I just hope it's not a day that I'm standing on top. Uh, the, the ocean's just going to keep pounding away and the rocks are going to keep caving and cracking and falling down to the ocean. Let me not be here. So this looks like we're on the moon, doesn't it? Aside from the whole ocean thing. Is it possible that the Rush or any Rishon for that matter could have, uh, could have said these things? Uh, and this is what, uh, what uh, the Narbonachai Ben-Nat and the Hassan Sofer and so many others uh, went crazy about. Now what I'm going to try to show in my article uh, is that uh, I found all sorts of little tidbits uh, scattered. Uh, you know, the foragers always like to leave little things. I think I've identified some tidbits as well. But uh, before looking at some of the Chuvot, which I believe, perhaps I believe, but are reformist Chuvot, I think it's not only, and this is important, it's not only the conclusions of the Chuvot 